I really like that song. It's a good song. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's by far my favorite Jackson, Jackson 5. 5 Michael Jackson song. And, I think uh, there are better Michael Jackson songs. Yeah, it's my favorite. And, you know, there's a lot of great covers out there, like that Graham Parker one that we started off with. Uh, Rob Bain is the one that showed me that song for the first time. So, Good old Rob Bain. Good old Rob Bain. Dharma Sons. Wexford Bain Road. It's funny. I, I think we've talked about this on the air before. Maybe not. So, you know, there's like Reese Run Road, right? Which is named off of Creek or something, right? Wexford Bain is a street that's a couple miles from my house, right? Mm-hmm. And I grew up with it. So it's a completely different... You grow up with it, you know. So I always thought that hyphen Bain was something like run or a stream type thing. Yeah. I never realized it was the road between Wexford and the to Bain. And that Bain was a town named after a person that was related to Rob Bain. Yep. Um, so I had always thought it was like, like mm-hmm. Willow Run or Reese Run or right. something like that. And uh, but no, it it's a different kind of hyphenation. It's a destination source destination. So, and yeah, you were probably in the room when I had that realization <laughs> when I was like you know twenty years old. I remember Rob tried to play it off, saying no, it has nothing to do with me, and it doesn't have anything to do with him. I mean, it's true, it doesn't. Have but he was trying to play it off as like you know as he was completely unrelated. But no, he's vaguely related to that. Person. Oh, Bain's not a... The yeah. place where Bain is is not a very... It's not a town. <laughs> there was probably a farm mm-hmm. there that the Bains ran back in the... And it's uh, not like... The early it's not like 19th. Washington or Montgomery or Franklin. Right. No, right? there not. was a farm that the Bains owned in like 1910, uh-huh. probably. You know, that kind of thing. So, All right. So... What else do we got? We have this thing I could read. We have Amazon Anonymous we could do. I got to pull up Amazon Anonymous if you want to go over the the um, the edge thing. Thing you want to read? I want you to. I want you to listen to it as I read it. So okay. if you're doing pulling Amazon Anonymous, it's not going to work. Okay, let's pause. We'll do Amazon Anonymous. All right. Because he was. Uh, We're rolling. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I know who a friend of ours bought the blinds. <laughs> we didn't start rolling that early. Okay. But uh, anyway, yes, yes. Okay, go. Um, my pick is Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Okay. <laughs> it's a DVD from Walt Disney starring Albert Shape, Janet Monroe, and Sean Connery in a uh, Irish folktale type. Leprechaun thing. I just saw it. I was like, wow, that's different. (laughs) That is different. (laughs) It has 500 customer reviews and four and a half stars, though. Uh, The editorial review. Take a wee bit of ancient folklore. (laughs) 
Make sense and spectacular special effects in a magical cast, including Sean Connery, and you've got one of the most enchanting fantasies of all time. A frisky old storyteller named Darby O'Gill is desperately seeking the proverbial pot of gold. There's just one tiny thing standing in his way, a 21-inch leprechaun named King Brian. In order to get the gold, Darby must match his wits against the shrewd little trickster, which proves no small task indeed. Fall under the spell of Darby O'Gill and the little people for a fun-filled evening of magic, mirth, and non-stop shenanigans. <laughs> that sounds interesting. So the movie was put out in 70s, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. I mean, just from the cover art, it looks like 70-something. Looks like sixties actually by the, the sort of the color the colorization. Mm-hmm. But let's see here, uh, IMDb nineteen fifty nine. Oh, that's early color. Yeah, it's a color talkie. <laughs> a wily old this is the IMDb description. A wily old Kujir matches wits with the king of the leprechauns and helps play matchmaker for his daughter and the strapping lad who has replaced him as caretaker. So we got a lot of. Uh... So someone bought a lot of homebrewing equipment? Yes. And someone bought a lot of beauty equipment. <laughs> so that's not our normal market, so thank you if you bought the beauty equipment. Maybe it's, um, well, I mean, who knows, right? It could be somebody who's just who's buying both. It's just not our normal uh, demographic, people buying all kinds of nail polish removers. That's why like we that. ask Amazon Anonymous, right? If you, need, if you want yeah. to buy anything, you know, it's... it's... Uh, I, I know. I'm saying thank you for... Yeah. For you know, thinking of us for buying your nail polish remover and your your little shower wrappy things and whatnot, I'm gonna go with the waffle maker. Sorry, I'm sorry. Can I say this one sentence in my Irish thing? In my in my faux Irish, terrible faux Irish. Okay. This is the storyline description from IMDb. Darby O'Gill seems to be full of blarney as any old codger in Ireland, but the stories of leprechauns he tells at the pub are true. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so someone bought the all clad 99012 GT stainless steel round waffle maker silver. It gets uh, four and a half stars, 53 customer reviews, $105. Looks cute. It looks like a nice, is it Belgian waffles? I hope. Well, it's waffles. Or American waffles. I. I, I... Is is there is there much of a difference to try? Oh yeah, what, big go, what goes in them? American waffles are only about this big, right? But right? I mean, like, like a waffle maker waffle is. No, they make they make waffle makers that are mm. only a half inch, and then they make ones that are like almost a full inch, right? And there's a pretty big difference there. So I'm not sure exactly which one this was. Probably Belgian makes half inch thick, six and a half inch diameter round waffles. Hmm, maybe that's American then, like Waffle House. Anyway. Uh, waffle makers, yes, good stuff. And since I've been jonesing for chicken and waffles for like a year now, and actually found a place last so last Sunday after Ali's she had a Sunday soccer game, we went to the OTB at the Broadhouse in North Park. It's over the, you know over the bicycle cafe over the bar beer place. Mm-hmm. On Sundays in the winter at the North Park location. They close early, so they're only open till like four o'clock, and they only have their brunch menu. I go there; they have chicken and waffles on the menu. Wow! Oh, sweet. They were like I was like the first person like they didn't they were out of waffle batter, and I was like the first person like they didn't get the chicken and waffles. 
So I think we're going to go back tomorrow just so I can get chicken and waffles. You, you normally read reviews on yours, but can I read the one of review in an Irish accent, in the, my terrible Irish accent? Uh, about the waffle maker? Yes. Sure. Um, you may. Perfect for thin, crispy waffles goes this uh, review. We finally found a good waffle maker. It makes thin, crisp waffles in less than four minutes and makes waffle after waffle quickly and, break and bakes them evenly. Its ability to come back to baking temperature after you take it, after you take out a finished waffle is excellent. The construction is top-notch. It's not too much to pay. If you make waffles very often, I freeze the extras and toast them to... I, I lost it kind of like you, good way through you, there. No, no, you didn't no, I, I didn't even... I, you didn't lose it. You didn't even start. Didn't even start it, really, no, yeah. It, it, it was shit the whole way through. Yeah, I, I need to have that leprechaun thing to give, to, to give it in motion. <sighs> that was just really bad. Yeah. Sorry. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm right with you. I... So I, this, I accept your criticism. This thing is almost uniformly. My other ones are better, though, right? So I this mean, one's oh, yeah. This one's yeah. almost uniformly five stars. There's forty-four five stars. There's two one stars. I want to see what the one stars are saying about this thing. I do not like paying a premium price for products that perform. No dot dot dot. That's the title. I purchased this unit because I really appreciate heavy-duty appliances, and I. Well, maybe you should worry about more about appreciating waffles. Uh, and I do not mind paying a premium to get them. I do not like paying a premium price for products that perform no better than the cheap competitors. I received this yesterday. <laughs> so a day after receiving this, mm-hmm. he's giving it a one-store review. I received this yesterday and promptly whipped up my favorite batter and produced waffles that were shrunken and distorted. I thought it might have been a mistake in the batter, so I got up my old busted up $25 iron and promptly produced crispy, well-formed, uniformly colored waffles in less time than my new El Dorado-priced heavy-duty all-clad. Hold up, hold up. Why are you buying a new one if your old thing works great? It's busted up. It made it made perfect waffles. It's busted up. I continued to make waffles in both units side by side until convinced my purchasing error. Till convinced. Oh, I, I did miss the L. I'm sorry. Until convinced of my purchasing error, I will be ordering a new El Cheapo model. That way, that way, underperformance will not be painful. It sounds like you performed fine. I, I this guy. I mean, you were right to call out the first sentence where where he says, you know, I like I like heavy duty stuff, blah blah blah. Where you should be concerned with whether it makes good waffles or not. And it sounds like the waffle maker he has busted up or not makes great waffles. Don't throw out something that works. <laughs> if it works and it works well, use it. Yeah. The other one that's one star looks like they're complaining about the nonstick. Uh, I am so sad. <laughs> That's it. That's really all there is. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. This started out to be a great waffle iron. Then after about a tenth waffle, after the tenth waffle, the non-stick surface stopped working. 
I would like you after about the tenth waffle, reality started to change, and suddenly <laughs> up was down, left was right, everything was crazy. It was no longer a nonstick surface, and I was using a nonstick spray. Pam parenthesized. This was in all caps, so Jeff was right yes. to yell it. I was going to give it a five star review. Then this happened. I'm so sad. <laughs> I really because wish I could get Siri to have that voice. <laughs> what can I help you with, Greg? <laughs> It'd be great if who's that? Who's that dog? The the basset hound that talks. Uh, uh, is it underdog? No, it's um. That's the voice of Siri needs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm so sad because everything else about this is perfect. It gets really hot, cooks whole grain waffles quickly. Comma, 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 comma. But the non-stick surface no longer works. And what is weird is it took. It looks just fine. It looks new. All right, so that's enough of that. A company I love the, like I love the voice, but this is jeez, this is this is ponderous. This this comment. Who make excellent uh, pots and uh, pans should do this way better. The nonstick surface should be the best available. I'm an avid waffle maker. <laughs> I've used many different brands over the years. And this one stuck together worse than some of the cheaper brands do. Oh, wait, wait. What the fuck? <laughs> Is that in there? Oh, no, no, no. I was about to quit. But then I like caught something on the next line and like... Okay, let's see. Do, 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 over the, uh, six different brands over the years. Blah, blah, blah. Without such problems. Until they get really old. Like, after making 400 waffles. Oh, okay. But not the 7th or 10 waffle. I'm bummed. Sending in for refund. One star. Thanks, Davy Jones. Davy. Napa Valley, California. Davy Jones, Davy and Goliath. Gosh, Davy. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. What's that mopey dog's name? Um. <clears throat> Boy. As you always I, say, I start typing mopey cartoon dog. And before I like get the A for cartoon out, it Google knows what I want. Right, well that's Google. Droopy. Droopy dog. Droopy dog. Well, I know that makes sense. Yep, that's the guy I want. I'm so sad. Okay. So, shall I read this thing? Are you ready for it? <laughs> no, because you're watching Droopy Dog. 
I was hoping you'd go right into I'm so sad. Alright. Okay. So this was from uh, a magazine called Edge or uh, online site called Edge, I'm not sure. But anyway, they asked a bunch of philosophers, physicists, scientists, theologians, etc., etc., what is your favorite deep, elegant, or beautiful explanation? And this was from Amanda Gefter, who's a consultant at New Scientist and founding editor at Culture Lab. And her answer, no, thank you, her answer was structural realism. Structural realism is a philosophical idea, but uh, it's probably the most interesting and uh, um, best supported philosophical idea that I can think of. Okay, so I'll go through your essay, and maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll highlight some parts. Uh, I just want to. This is on edge.org. Uh, just do a search for um, Amanda Gafter or structural realism. Edge.org. You'll be able to find this. Again, I think it's a beautiful essay. That's why I'm going to read it. Structural realism, in its metaphysical version, championed by the philosopher of science James Ladyman, is the deepest explanation I know because it serves as a kind of meta-explanation, one that explains the nature of reality and the nature of scientific explanations. The idea behind structural realism is pretty simple. The world isn't made of things. It's made of mathematical relationships or structure. The mathematical structure is a set of isomorphic elements, each of which can be perfectly mapped onto the next. To give a trivial example, the numbers 25 and 5 squared share the same mathematical structure. When the philosopher John Worrell first introduced structural realism, though he attributes it to physicist Henry Poincaré, he was trying to explain something puzzling, how it was possible that a scientific theory that would later turn out to be wrong could still manage to make accurate predictions. Take Newtonian gravity. Newton said that gravity was a force that masses exert on one another from a distance. That idea was overthrown by Einstein, who showed that gravity was the curvature of space-time. Given how wrong Newton was about gravity, it seems almost miraculous that he was able to accurately predict the motions of the planets. Thankfully, we don't have to resort to miracles. Newton may have gotten the physical interpretation of gravity wrong, but he got a piece of the math right. That's why at weak masses and small velocities, Einstein's equations reduced to Newton's. The problem, Worrell pointed out, was that we mistook an interpretation of the theory for the theory itself. The fact is, in physics, theories are sets of equations and nothing more. Quantum field theory, quote-unquote, is a group of mathematical structures. Electrons, quote-unquote, are little stories we tell ourselves. I may have quoted that particular thing before. These days, believing in the reality of objects, of physical things like particles, fields, forces, even space-time geometries, can quickly lead to profound existential crises. Quantum theory, for example, strips particles of any sense of quote-unquote, thingness. One electron is not merely similar to one another. All electrons are exactly the same. Electrons have no inherent identity, a fact that makes quantum statistics drastically different from the classical kind. Anyone who believes that an electron is a thing in its own right is bound to lose big in a quantum casino. Meanwhile, all of nature's fundamental forces 
including electromagnetism and the nuclear forces that operate deep in the cores of atoms, are described by gauge theory, which shows that forces aren't physical things in the world, but discrepancies in different descriptions of the world, in different observers' points of view. I want to point out this is very important. Uh, this is me talking here. This is a fantastic example, one of the best I've, I've heard. So I'll ponder this one. As she says, quote, Gravity is a gauge force, too, which means you can make it blink out of existence just by changing your frame of reference. In fact, that was Einstein's happiest thought. A person in free fall can't feel their weight. It's often said that you can't disobey the law of gravity, but the truth is you can take it out with a simple coordinate change. Recent advances in theoretical physics have only made the situation worse. The holographic principle tells us that our four-dimensional space-time and everything in it is exactly equivalent to physics taking place on a two-dimensional boundary of the universe. Neither description is more real than the other. One can be perfectly mapped onto the other with no loss of information. When we try to believe that space-time is really four-dimensional or really has a particular geometry, the holographic principle pulls the rug out from under us. The physical nature of reality has been further eroded by M-theory, the theory that many physicists believe can unite general relativity and quantum mechanics. M-theory encompasses five versions of string theory plus one non-stringy theory known as supergravity, all of which are related by mathematical maps called dualities. What looks like the strong interaction in one theory looks like a weak interaction in another. What look like 11 dimensions in one theory look like 10 in another. Big can look like small. Strings can look like particles. Virtually any object you can think of will be transformed into something totally different as you move from one theory to the next. And yet somehow... All of these theories are equally true. This reality crisis has grown so dire that Stephen Hawking has called for a kind of philosophical surrender, a white flag he terms modal-dependent realism, or model-dependent realism, which basically says that while our theoretical models offer possible descriptions of the world, we'll simply never know the true reality that lies beneath. Perhaps there is no reality at all. But structural realism offers a way out an explanation, a reality. The only cash is it is not made of physical objects. Then again, our theories never said it was. Electrons aren't real, but the mathematical structure of quantum field theory is. Gauge forces aren't real, but the symmetry groups that describe them are. The dimensions, geometries, and even strings described by any given string theory aren't real. What's real are the mathematical maps that transform one string theory into another. Of course, it's only human to want to interpret mathematical structure. There's a reason that 42 is hardly a satisfying answer to life, the universe, and everything. We want to know what the world is really like, but we want it in a form that fits our intuitions, a form that means something. And for our narrative-driven brains, meaning comes in the form of stories, stories about things. I doubt we'll ever stop telling stories about how the universe works, and I am, for one, glad. We just have to remember not to mistake the stories for reality. Structural realism forces us to radically revise the way we think about the universe, but also provides a powerful explanation for some of the most mystifying aspects of physics. Without it, we have to give up on the notion that scientific theories can ever tell us how the world really is, and that, in my humble opinion, makes it a pretty beautiful explanation. That's pretty cool. I mean, you're right. That's that's really well written. 
And I wasn't blowing you off. You said it'd be like five minutes before bed that yeah. night, right? So I'm like, I can't read this now. And uh, But no, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, it, it was beautifully well written. Explained everything in, in, a, in, in a way that made sense. At the same time, really did explain the concept very well. That uh, that explanation of a gauge theory is better than anyone I, I was able to come up mm-hmm. with. And as soon as I saw it, I, I understood immediately, yeah, this is exactly what the right. whole point of gauge theory is that these forces disappear if you look at it in a different way everything is 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 the only thing that's real is the relationships that things have to each other that that's it nothing else is real and and the the very the, the so it's always brought up that there is people consider there's this realm between the abstract and the physical there are physical objects and there are abstract objects there are physical things and abstract things but it turns out, at least if, if you believe in structural realism, that they're just abstract things. We were having a problem trying to figure out, you know, what's abstract and what's physical, mm-hmm. because we're trying. We assume that there is something physical, but there isn't. There's just right. abstract things. I mean, that was an interesting point about how you can kind of convert uh, Newton to Einstein, mm-hmm. or string theory to M theory or this theory to that theory you know it's it's an interesting way of uh, of uh, a perspective to look at things right because you we're so used to thinking about absolutes because in our macroscopic world things are very absolute this glass is in front of me this glass is in front of you right but you, you could describe this glass as being smeared on a two-dimensional plane without any loss of information and that, that says something fascinating which one is real yeah the the only the only reality you could say is the conversion between them not either one I hear you All right, that's good um, I have to pee I'm gonna wrap this up and go look at the cloud chamber let's some more. do that alright Thanks, everyone, for listening. It was Thank fun. Thank you.